1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your year lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black just returned from a Las Vegas junket. I was invited to participate in a, what they were calling a celebrity, no, they weren't calling it a celebrity, they were calling it a pro-am poker tournament, and the am in the pro-am was uh, supposedly like celebrities, although I think I might have been the most famous person there, and I say that not out of pride, but out of shame, because if I'm the most famous person at your celebrity pro-am poker tournament, something has gone wrong. There was also a guy from Survivor, I think. And, uh, and then a bunch of poker personalities. People who, if you're in the poker world, you would recognize and enjoy. And in fact, I was starstruck by at least a couple of them. Michael, how did you do in the poker tournament? Not good. Not good. I didn't expect to do good. Well, okay. I didn't expect to do well. Yes, I did good by showing up and behaving morally. But I didn't do well in the sense that I didn't win. I didn't even come close. I didn't even make it to halftime. That's what I'm saying. It didn't go great for me. But I didn't go off there to Las Vegas because I thought, oh, I'm going to win this tournament. I went because I got invited, and I was able to stay for free because a friend of mine helped me do that. And then additionally, like I just felt like, hey, I deserve it, you know? Here I've been stuck in the deep south for low these many months. I deserve to have a little R&R in LVNV. So off I went. Jumped on an airplane, stayed at a hotel. On my final night there, I took my buddy out. Uh, he said he said he had a $100 meal credit towards any restaurant at like a Caesars property. And I said, "Well, you know the city better than I do. What's a what's a place where we could spend more than a hundred bucks? Because I want to take you out." He said, "Oh, we'll go to the Caesar Bacchanal Buffet," and it was a Bacchanal Buffet. I mean, they you know the place was lousy with snow crab legs and lobster claws and prime rib and chicken and whatever you wanted they had. And as always, you know, you show up at that buffet excited to like tear into whatever you're going to eat, and you know, the whole, like, the whole thing is it's like a competition between you and the proprietors of the buffet to see who's going to come out ahead. And baby, let me tell you something. You're never going to win that game. They know exactly how much you're going to eat, and it's not even going to come close to what they're charging you. They're making money hand over fist at the Bacchanal Buffet. I didn't even try, to be honest. I, I didn't even. I, was, I wasn't trying to stuff myself. I wasn't trying to make myself sick. I just wanted to have a nice time. And I did. So I've just returned. I'm a little, you know, when you, when you go across the coast both ways in just a few days, you get kind of like a double jet lag. You think, well, if you're just going back and forth, you're not going to get jet lag at all. That's not been my experience. My, my experience is you kind of get it double, especially when you go to Las Vegas because you're, you're keeping odd hours. You know, you're staying up late playing poker with weirdos and eating Taco Bell. And uh, so now I'm just kind of exhausted. You know, I just got back last night tearing into a whole new episode of Wuthering Heights, but I'm exhausted. So if, if my energy flags, you'll know why. Last time we we met, our narrator, what's his name? I already forgot his name. The narrator. What's his name? Love it. Love it? Levitt. What's his name? I don't know. I can't remember. Lockwood? Mr. Lockwood, that's what it is. Mr. Lockwood has shown up there. He's renting he's renting a house there at Wuthering Heights, and Mr. Heathcliff invited him in. Well, he kind of invited himself in, and Mr. Heathcliff said, "All right, fine, come on in and then last thing that happened is he got attacked by dogs, which I like you know if you're going to have if you're going to have a novel, have it begin with somebody getting attacked by dogs. so uh, the last thing that happens is all these all Heathcliff's dogs you know came at him, and uh, he's saying I, I I was holding them all with a poker. I was constrained to demand allowed assistance from some of the household in reestablishing peace that's where we left off. Let us begin now. Chapter 1 Wuthering Heights. Mr. Heathcliff and his man climbed the cellar steps with vexatious phlegm. <laughs> hey, in other words, they were slow. Uh, I don't think they moved one second faster than usual, though the hearth was an absolute tempest of worrying and yelping. Happily, an inhabitant of the kitchen made more dispatch. A lusty dame with tucked-up gown, bare arms, and fire-flushed cheeks rushed into the midst of us flourishing a frying pan and used that weapon and her tongue to such purpose that the storm subsided magically and she only remained heaving like a a sea after a high wind When her master entered on the scene, so we've introduced a brand new character—a lusty dame, with tucked-up gown and bare arms and fire-flushed cheeks—and she's got a frying pan. She knows how to use it. She's body this one. I mean, I don't know that she's body, but so far in the description, she sounds body. She sounds like uh, Mrs. Padmore in in *Downton Abbey*. That's how Heathcliff comes in. He says, "What the devil is the matter?" He asked. "'eying me in a manner I could ill endure "'after this inhospitable treatment. "'What the devil indeed!' I muttered. "'The herd of possessed swine could have had "'no worse spirits in them than those animals of yours, sir. "'You might as well leave a stranger with a brood of tigers.' "'They won't meddle with persons who touch nothing,' "'he remarked, putting the bottle before me, "'and restoring the displaced table. "'The dogs do right to be vigilant. "'Take a glass of wine. No, thank you. "'Not bitten, are you?' If I had been, I would have set my signet on the biter. Uh, Oh, I would have set my signet on the biter. I mean, I guess he means you would have punched him in the face. If I had, that's what—that's the way we would have said it in America, because this is an American book, don't forget. If I had been, I would have punched the kid in the kisser. Heathcliff's countenance relaxed into a grin. Come, come, he said. You are flurried, Mr. Lockwood. Here, take a little wine. "'Guests are so exceedingly rare in this house "'that I and my dogs, I am willing to own, "'hardly even know how to receive them. "'Your health, sir.' "'He's toasting him, I guess.' "'I bowed and returned the pledge, "'beginning to perceive that it would be foolish "'to sit sulking for the misbehavior of a pack of curs. "'Besides, I felt loath to yield the fellow "'further amusement at my expense since, "'since his humor took that turn.' Well, I can, I can certainly empathize with a guy who laughs at the misfortune of others. You know, I like to think that I'm a better character than that, but let's be honest, I'm not. You know, if it's the right, if it's the right person, I'll laugh at their misfortunes. You know, uh, you know, somebody dog comes along and snaps at your bottom. You know, no harm done. It's a little scary, sure, but I'll, you know, I'm not above a chuckle or two at that. He probably, swayed by my prudential considerations of the folly of offending a good tenant, relaxed a little in the laconic style of chipping off his pronouns and auxiliary verbs. Oh, so now we've got a footnote after chipping off, which I'm imagining means just dropping, dropping his, you know, maybe I think we're, maybe we're revealing something about his past, because in... America, uh, parenthetically, I'm saying in, in England, when you chop off your vowels... Oh, chopping off is pronouns and auxiliary verbs. I'm having a hard time like, finding the footnote pages here. Let's see if we can. Okay, I, I've gone to them. Number one. All right. <clears throat> chipping off for A's chipping of... What? What? Oh, I see. So the following notes indicate include translations of dialect and notation of a few emendations of the 1847 text that may have substantive ramifications. A refers to the 1847 edition. Oh my God, my dogs will not shut up. I hate them so much. I mean, shut up. I cannot spend three minutes in this house without the dogs barking at something it is absurd. It is an absurdity. And I hate it. I mean, I'm trying to read a work of classic literature and they won't stop. Chipping off for A's chipping of. So I guess in the first edition it said chipping of. So here's a note note to the text. Uh, This is the beginning of the footnotes. It says, Wuthering Heights was first published in London in 1847. It appeared as the first two volumes of a three-volume set, the third volume of which was Agnes Grey by Emily Bronte's younger sister Anne. Subsidized by their authors, these volumes appeared as the work of Ellis and Acton Bell. So they were publishing under male names. A second commercial edition of Wuthering Heights alone appeared in 1850 with Emily Bronte's name on the title page. It was edited by Charlotte Bronte, who brought Joseph's speech closer to standard English, regularized spelling and punctuation, and altered the paragraphing considerably. The present text reprints the 1847 edition with minor emendations. Like most editors since 1911, its editor assumes that it is far closer to Emily Bronte's intentions than the 1850 edition, though we know that she was not satisfied with it. So, some some tension between the sisters. Ah, bop, bop. Okay, so he's chipping off his pronouns and auxiliary verbs. So I'm thinking maybe that's uh, speaking to a different sort of upbringing than the very stiff-lipped fellow that he is presenting himself as to Lockwood, and introduced what he supposed would be a subject of interest to me, a discourse on the advantages and disadvantages of my present place of retirement. Right. Anybody who moves to a new place, that's what you want to hear about. Hey, where, where, where's the where's the deli around here? Where, where does a fella get a pickle? Are there good pickles here in Stratford-upon-Thrush or whatever the hell the place is called? I can't even remember. My dear boy, you will find such pickles as there are to be found anywhere in all of England here. They have all the amenities. So, you know, here's something you might like, here's something you might not like. The laundromat, you got to buy a card, you can't just put quarters in the thing but the jukebox down there at the watering hole is pretty grand. They got lots of disco, if you like that. I found him very intelligent on the topics we touched, and before I went home, I was encouraged so far as to volunteer another visit tomorrow. He evidently wished no repetition of my intrusion. I shall go, notwithstanding. It is astonishing how sociable I feel myself compared with him. End of chapter one. And, uh, you know, we might as well take a quick break while I yell at my dogs and we'll be back in a moment on Obscure.
2: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media on Fail Better. David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together fail better is out now wherever you get your podcasts
1: back on obscure we have finished the first chapter i mean we're just we're just gallivanting through this book i mean it's almost reckless how quickly we're going through this book my goodness i mean we'll be we'll be done before you know it then we can really get to an american book you know maybe uh Maybe some Dostoevsky, you know, something American like that. Chapter 2. Yesterday afternoon set in misty and cold. I had half a mind to spend it by my study fire instead of wading through heath and mud to Wuthering Heights. Well, why are you going back to Wuthering Heights? He already said he doesn't want you there. On coming up from dinner, however... NB, I dined between 12 and 1 o'clock. Oh, I see. So he he, uh, he goes over there for meals. He's not necessarily going to see Heathcliff. It's that part of his his uh, deal is that he gets dinner, I guess, over at Wuthering Heights. On coming up from dinner, however, and then parenthetically it says NB, I dined between 12 and 1 o'clock. The housekeeper, a matronly lady taken as a fixture along with the house, could not or would not comprehend my request that I might be served at five, all right, so there's a housekeeper, there's, a, there's Joseph, and then there's, the, and then there's the busty dame. Maybe that's the housekeeper, I don't know. On mounting the stairs with this lazy intention and stepping into the room, I saw a servant girl on her knees. Oh, so now there's a servant girl, too. I, I thought when he went, I thought, yeah, last episode, when he first showed up at the place... It said, "Here we have the whole establishment of domestics." I suppose, you know. He says, "He says, Joseph, take Mister Lockwood's horse and bring up some wine." And then I was under the impression by saying that Joseph, I thought he was saying Joseph was the whole establishment of domestics, that there were no other domestics. But it, but it sounds like there's a whole a whole coterie of them. So he sees. I see a servant girl on her knees, surrounded by brushes and coal scuttles and raising an infernal dust as she extinguished the flames with heaps of cinders. This spectacle drove me back immediately. I took my hat, and after a 4 miles' walk, arrived at Heathcliff's garden gate just in time to escape the first feathery flakes of a snow shower. Okay, now I'm confused. (sighs) Okay, this is frustrating. So it says yesterday afternoon, it was cold, right? So I thought I would just sit by the fire instead of going over to Wuthering Heights. I'm coming up from dinner, however, which I thought was at Wuthering Heights, but I guess it's not. He steps into the room. He sees his servant girl. So I guess he's stepping back into his room, not from Wuthering Heights. He's, so there's a girl in his space surrounded by brushes and coal scuttles and making dust. And then he was like, uh, and then he was like, oh, I better leave. So then he goes to Heathcliff's place just in time to escape the first feathery flakes of a snow shower. Okay, fine. He's, he's back there. Who cares? On that bleak hilltop, the earth was hard with a black frost, and the air made me shiver through every limb. Being unable to remove the chain, I jumped over, and running up the flagged causeway, bordered with straggling gooseberry bushes, knocked vainly for admittance, till my knuckles tingled and the dogs howled. Wretched inmates. Well let me do that again. That was just a terrible reading. So my knuckles tingled and the dogs howled. Wretched inmates, I ejaculated mentally. You deserve perpetual isolation from your species for your churlish inhospitality. At least I would not keep my doors barred in the daytime. I don't care. I will get in. So he's breaking into Heathcliff's house. It's a little bit inexplicable why he's even gone there. Four miles away. I don't fully understand, but okay, fine. So resolve... I grasped the latch and shook it vehemently. Vinegar-faced Joseph projected his head from a round window of the barn. What are you for, he shouted. To maesters Dane it fold. Go round by the end of the lathe if you want to spake to them. I'm, 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 I know I sounded incomprehensible there, but I'm trying to read it as it is written. So you, you heard in the note, in the footnotes, that, uh, Charlotte cleaned up the spelling of Joseph. Well, here's an example. So it's he says, "What are ye for?" W h e t. Okay, so we understand that. T t maesters don it to fouled. T literally spelled T m a i maesters don d a h n i apostrophe t apostrophe fouled go around g o a R-A-H-N-D, by the end ut the if you want went to speak to him. If you want to speak to him. Go around by the end of the lathe. if you want to speak to him. So there's a footnote here, thank goodness, because I'm guessing they're going to translate what the hell Joseph just said. So if, if every time Joseph speaks, I got to go to the footnotes, we're going to have a problem. Because I'm not going to keep doing that. Joseph speaks a north of England dialect. The present speech would mean more or less as follows in standard English. What do you want? The master's down in the sheepfold. Go around the end of the barn if you want to speak to him. So, "lathe" is barn. Lathe. If you want to speak, tell him. Is there nobody inside to open the door? I hallooed responsively. There's nobody tid missus and she'll not open ye till you make your some dins till neat. God, this is gonna be a long book if this is There's nobody but the missus, and she'll not open it, even if you make your awful din till night. I would not have understood that. I'm starting to prefer Charlotte's eighteen fifty edition already. The snow had began to drive thickly. I seized the handle to essay another trial when a young man without coat and shouldering a pitchfork appeared in the yard behind. He hailed me to follow him, and after marching through a wash house and a paved area containing a coal shed, pump, and pigeon coat, we at length arrived in the huge, warm, cheerful apartment where I was formally received. Well, it's about time. You didn't have to go too late to Dartford to see the master. Tulum. It glowed delightfully in the radiance of an immense fire compounded of coal, peat and wood, and near the table, laid for a plentiful evening meal, I was pleased to observe the missus, an individual whose existence I had never previously suspected. No, no, why would we have? We have no idea who this missus is. And we know, I mean, we don't know, but I suspect that, you know, this is a romance of sorts. I mean, I know there's going to be, there's going to be something with Heathcliff and some lady, and maybe with Lockwood too. Maybe it's a love triangle. I don't know. I bowed and waited, thinking she would bid me take a seat. She looked at me, leaning back in her chair, and remained motionless and mute. Rough weather, I remarked. I am afraid, Mrs. Heathcliff, the door must bear the consequence of your servants' leisure attendance. I had hard work to make them hear me. She never opened her mouth. I stared. She stared also. At any rate, she kept her eyes on me in a cool, regardless manner, exceedingly embarrassing and disagreeable. Sit down," said the young man gruffly. "He'll be in soon." I obeyed, and hemmed, and called the villain Juno. I don't know what that means. Called the villain Juno, who deigned at this second interview to move the extreme tip of her tail, oh, the dog, in token of owning my acquaintance. A beautiful animal, I commenced again. Do you intend parting with the little ones, madam? They are not mine, said the amiable hostess, more repellingly than Heathcliff himself could have replied. So, the, the word amiable there, a touch sarcastic, don't you know? Hey, Shakespeare, you are being a little sarcastic there, aren't you? They are not mine. "'said the amiable hostess. "'So you got Heathcliff and you got the Mrs. Heathcliff, "'and not a lot of charm between them. "'That's what we're discovering. "'Ah, your favorites are among these,' "'I continued, turning to an an obscure cushion "'full of something like cats. "'A strange choice of favorites,' she observed scornfully. "'Unluckily, it was a heap of dead rabbits.' (laughs) "'Yes, that would be a strange choice of favorites, I suppose.' I hemmed once more, and drew closer to the hearth, repeating my comment on the wildness of the evening. You should not have come out, she said, rising and reaching from the chimney-piece two of the painted canisters. Her position before was sheltered from the light. Now I had a distinct view of her whole figure and countenance. She was slender, and apparently scarcely past girlhood in admirable form, and the most exquisite little face that I have ever had the pleasure... Shut up! Please, stop! I mean, I don't know how, if you can hear this, but it, it, it... This, the move to Savannah has exacerbated what was already horrendous behavior from my animals. They would bark and whinny at the sight of anybody who had the misfortune of coming up our walk. But now that we're in Savannah, now that we're in an actual city where there are people walking by constantly, they never stop. And I don't know what the remedy is other than to keep every um, every window closed. You know, we have shutters and we can close them, but I don't even know if that would help. They just don't stop. I don't know what's happening in my own home, and it's frightening. You know, I said I lived in a haunted mansion. Well, I think I do. The dogs are going crazy. I'm hearing voices. Does, you know, nobody seems, to, nobody seems happy to see anybody in this book. And here I am, exhausted from Las Vegas. I'm trying to do good in this world, and it's not happening. I have guests coming later, and we're going out to dinner. I, don't, I can't eat more food. I'm going to have to eat lightly. Eat lightly at this dinner, because I'm still full of the bacchanal buffet from two nights before. You know, I I started this episode with such enthusiasm, I was trying to get through it, you know, just trying to do my part to bring a little ray of sunshine into this fetid world, and what happens? My dogs go ahead and spoil everything, my own Junos, disrupting my work when I'm trying to be constructive. It's the thanks I get for saving their lives. One of them has elbow dysplasia and probably would have been put to slaughter. The other one, just a shitty little rat dog. Nobody wanted. He would have been put to slaughter. They would have ended up in the basket with the dead rabbits. And no good deed goes unpunished. That's what they say. Well, it seems to be the case in my house. You know, and here we got, here we got Mrs. Heathcliff, or the missus. I don't know what her deal is. She's probably his daughter. She was slender and apparently scarcely past girlhood. In admirable form, and the most exquisite little face that I have ever had the pleasure of beholding. Small features, very fair, flaxen ringlets, or rather golden, hanging loose on her delicate neck, and eyes, had they been agreeable in expression, they would have been irresistible. Fortunately for my susceptible heart, the only sentiment they evinced hovered between scorn and a kind of desperation, singularly unnatural to be detected there. So he says fortunately, because we know last from the last episode that the last time there was a girl that he found attractive, you know, he 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 could only be like a decent human being until the feelings seem to be reciprocated and then he shrank, he says, into himself like a snail. So he can he can be all right with her as long as she hates him. But if you know, if anything were to happen between them, and I suspect it will, all his worst personality traits are gonna come out, that lockwood there. So, scorn, we understand, but a kind of desperation, singularly unnatural to be detected there, we do not. But I guess we will find out. The canisters were almost out of her reach. I made a motion to aid her. She turned upon me as a miser might turn if anyone attempted to assist him in counting his gold. I don't want your help, she snapped. I can get them for myself. I beg your pardon, I hastened to reply. "'Were you asked to tea?' she demanded, tying an apron over her neat black frock and standing with a spoonful of the leaf poised over the pot. "'I shall be glad to have a cup,' I answered. "'Were you asked?' she repeated. "'No,' I said, half-smiling, you are the proper person to ask me. She flung the tea back, spoon and all, and resumed her chair in a pet, her forehead corrugated, and her, sorry, I've got a little old fold in the page there that I had to straighten. I like that image, though, her forehead corrugated, and her red underlip pushed out like a child's, ready to cry. Meanwhile, so, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what mores are like there and, you know, have her shirt upon Worcestershire, but you don't just invite yourself to tea. She's She's in the right here, you know, you know, he just shows up at the door unannounced, banging. Let me in, let me in. And he's acting like she shouldn't be put out. She should be put out. Who the hell is he? You know, some renter showing up demanding tea. So I guess we'll stop there. I'm irritated with my own hounds. I'm in desperate need of a nap. But that's not unusual. I'm always in desperate need of a nap. And, but I think I will go hum to my bed. As soon as I hit stop on this recording, uh, with the understanding that no sooner will I close my eyes than my dogs will erupt into some devilish howls, because that is what they do. They are demonic and they cannot be corralled. I hate them. I hate them. Do I really hate them? At the moment, yes. So uh, we'll conclude. You know, we'll stop there and pick it up again next week. It's mostly been fun, but I am very tired, and so you know we'll we'll, we'll set the book aside, unfold the blankie, lay our pretty little heads upon a pillow, and uh, and that will be that. So until next time, uh, we will have another irritating episode of obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support. So please, go to patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Sign up. There's all kinds of fun stuff. There's goodies. You could join the book club where we get together. We talk about the book that we're reading uh, and it's just a fun community so you know head on over to patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black and I will see you next time